of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today, in the readings and in the Cynic Sarion, you will have heard the story of the beheading of St. John the Baptist. It is an event that the Church commemorates every August 29th with a very solemn day. This is one of those days where the word feast seems a little out of place, given what we're remembering. I want to think a little bit about why we commemorate the beheading of St. John the Baptist. What is it that we're supposed to get from this story? And from, more importantly, I think, St. John's life. So I'm going to start by talking a little bit about the story, but then I'm going to reflect uh, on what I think St. John really exemplifies for us. I'm going to talk about humility. But we'll get there first by talking about how he died and why. So, as you would have heard in the Gospel, Herod Antipas, who was the only son of King Herod the Great, the one who tried to kill Jesus and did kill all the children in Bethlehem, uh, Herod Antipas is the only one who managed to survive his father's murderous rages against his own children. And he became ruler of Galilee and an area east of the Jordan called Perea, where John the Baptist preached. And Herod was originally married to a woman named Phasaelus. She was the daughter of King Aratos, the uh, king of Arabian uh, Nabatea. None of this really matters very much. The point is that we're in the midst of political intrigue. Herod's a petty ruler, ruling a client kingdom of Rome. And King Aratos has another client kingdom, and they have a union that brings the kingdoms together and so on. And then on a trip to Rome, Herod Antipas meets his brother's wife, his brother Herod Philip's wife, and her name is Herodias, and he likes Herodias. And so he and Herodias decide, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us they decide that they're going to get married just as soon as Antipas can divorce his current wife. But she finds out about it and tells her father, and there's a whole big thing. Now, meanwhile, Antipas does manage to marry Herodias. And as we hear, this is a problem. John the Baptist tells him this is not lawful. Also, King Aratos is mad. And in the end, Antipas fights a war with his ex-father-in-law, culminating in a battle where his entire army is destroyed. Now, Josephus tells us that a lot of people thought that this was divine punishment for his killing of John the Baptist. And what that tells me is that if all we had was the story of John standing up against King Herod and being executed, we would have the story of one more victim of the reckless selfishness that exemplifies this world. Antipas wanted Herodias. Herodias wanted Antipas. They're going to get what they want, and if people stand up against that, well, they might die. And if they're going to need to pull a daughter into that, Salome, and make her play a part, or if they're going to let an entire army die, well, they're going to do it. And so if all we had was this story, we wouldn't have much reason to commemorate St. John the Baptist. 
he would witness to nothing other than the wretchedness, the reckless selfishness of this world. But we do commemorate him solemnly. Why? Well, clearly, there's a good deal more to St. John. We know him best as the forerunner, the forerunner of Christ, the one who comes to announce him. As he says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord. John was not primarily known, though, by Herod or by Josephus for that. He was known for his preaching of virtue. Right? Herod, we hear, liked to listen to him, but he was puzzled. Herod thought, well, this guy's interesting. He, he seems to have some good ideas. I'm not really sure what to make of them. And of course, how could he understand? He was caught up in his own reckless selfishness. Josephus tells us that John, who baptized, was a good man who urged the Jews to virtue, to righteousness with one another, and to piety toward God, and that he preached a baptism of repentance for sins. This is a very much like what we hear in the Gospels. But it's missing a key element. It's missing Christ. Josephus knows John as a teacher of moral virtue. Well, that's great. There are lots of teachers of moral virtue. They come and they go, but we don't commemorate them necessarily, not unless there's something more. And that something more is clearly the witness to Christ. So if all John came and said was, if you have two cloaks, give one to him who has not, and if you're a tax collector, don't extort people, and if you're a soldier, don't take people's money, well, that would be great, but it wouldn't mean that we would commemorate him. And it's not who John was. John's life testified to more than the miseries of this world's selfishness. It testified to more than virtues that stand up against that. It testified to Christ. In the epistle reading today, we heard that when John was nearing the end of his course, he said, who do you think I am? Right? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And so we commemorate John for this, for his announcement of Christ. His testimony as witness makes him greater than all the prophets, Jesus says to his disciples. There is no one greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. What a position to be in. To be greater than all the prophets and yet somehow less than the least in the kingdom of heaven. What is that position? What is it that John shows us in his life that can balance those two sides? I want to say that what he shows us is humility. <clears throat> Excuse me. Both a visible side and I think he hints at its invisible side. And I want to draw these out. Humility has a visible side that looks a lot like self-denigration. Talking a lot about how I'm the worst. Everyone's better than me. I'm going to say, yes, that is an aspect of humility, but it's not the whole story. 
I'm going to say that there is an invisible sign, which we have to hold on to, which is a secure rest in the love and mercy of God. Now, to get there, I want to say first, humility receives numerous definitions. It is probably the most important and defining Christian virtue. It's a virtue that doesn't make sense to the world, and which wasn't something that Christians could even share uh, with their Greco-Roman counterparts. It just wouldn't make sense to be humble, to see oneself as less. This flies in the face of what the good and wise man ought to see himself as, which is good and wise. So what does humility do? Why is this so important? How does this become the defining virtue? It receives many definitions among the fathers. In the 25th step of the Ladder of Divine Ascent, uh, St. John Climacus gives us a few of them. He imagines a, a conference of the fathers gathering at Sinai, and one says, well, humility means constant forgetfulness of one's own achievements. Another says, it means the mind's recognition of one's weakness and impotence. Another says, in fits of rage, it means to anticipate one's neighbor and be the first to put a stop to the quarrel. Another one says it's the recognition of divine grace and divine mercy. Another says it's the feeling of a contrite soul and the renunciation of one's will. And all of these are true. All of these are true. Humility is forgetfulness of one's achievements. It is awareness of one's sinfulness or of one's weakness. It is also awareness of divine grace and mercy. And so it holds together this side that we often see and this side that we don't see so often, or that's less visible, all together in these definitions of humility. And John the Baptist shows us this in his life. He shows us the forgetfulness and the awareness of one's being the greatest sinner of all. St. Paul's words, which we repeat in the prayers before communion every Sunday, right? He knew who he wasn't. Who do you suppose I am? I'm not he. In the Gospel of John, they come and they say, well, are you Elijah? He says, no. They say, oh. Uh, are you the Messiah? He's like, no. Say, are, are you the prophet? He says, no. Which is funny because he is a prophet. He says, no. I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm here to point you to someone else. I'm not all of those things. He knew that his position was not that of Elijah or the prophet, certainly not that of the Christ, the Messiah. He knew that Christ was so much greater than him that he wasn't worthy to untie his sandal. But this sense of his unworthiness is not pure self-denigration. He's not taking a whip to his back and telling himself, I'm bad, I'm bad. It's not that at all. Rather, it is an awareness that however great he is, Christ is greater. St. Dorotheos gives us a wonderful image of this. He uh, invites someone to, to consider himself. He says, you know, imagine if you were... Um, the, the chief of, in this small town of Miami, the, the kind of a head man of the town, mayor, I 
guess. I don't know if they had mayors in those days, but something like that. See yourself pretty great. I said, yeah, yeah, here in this town, I'd be, I'd be the, the chief, tops. He said, all right, now, now imagine you go to Gaza. That's a, a bigger city. Yeah, he says, well, would you still be chief? Said, no, but I'd be important. Yeah, you'd be important. It's a bigger city, so you're a little less important. He says, now, imagine that you go to uh, Caesarea or to uh, Antioch, a much bigger city, a capital. Are you, are, how would you see yourself now? He said, well, I'd, I'd see myself as kind of middle class, kind of important, but definitely not up toward the top anymore at all. Not one of the rulers you know, not a governor, certainly, said, okay, well, now imagine you got to Constantinople, and, uh, you know, my fingers, my hands go off the screen, you, the gap gets so big, he says, well, you know, in the presence of the emperor, I'd see myself as just another servant, I'd be, I'd be nothing, and St. Arthur says, exactly, you haven't changed, you're still you, but your proximity to greatness has, has uh, you've gotten closer to greatness, and so you perceive yourself differently by how well you perceive someone who is truly great. And so St. John isn't saying, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. He's saying, no. I simply know who I am and who Christ is. And so his statement of unworthiness is not a statement of despair, but a statement of secure knowledge of himself in relation to Christ. See, if it were only a sense of littleness and unworthiness, he would be like those people that Douglas Adams describes in The Restaurant at the End of the Universe, which is the sequel to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is like my favorite novel of all time. And that's just something we're all going to have to make peace with, okay? In the restaurant at the end of the universe, uh, people are punished by being put into something called the total perspective vortex. And in this, uh, a scientist has extrapolated the whole universe from a piece of uh, fairy food cake, or angel food cake, I think they call it. And uh, you are in there, and in the booth with you, goes click, and there is the whole universe, all of it, the vast sweep of creation. And somewhere in that, an infinitesimal dot on an infinitesimal dot is a sign, he says, saying, you are here. And what happens to people who go in there? Do they come out going, ah, I understand now. No, their minds are destroyed, he says. Because what the one thing one cannot have is a sense of perspective. Because if all there were were our littleness, in this world, and our impotence against the forces of this world, be they human or natural or otherwise, then we would be reduced to despair. So if humility had only the visible side, the saying, I am the chief of sinners, I am lower than all, it wouldn't be able to be a virtue. It would not help us. It would destroy us. We would not be able, as St. John says, in fits of rage, to anticipate our neighbor and be the first to stop the quarrel. We would be annihilated by despair. So instead, we have to look at what St. John the Baptist does. He doesn't dwell on himself at all. Instead, 
in John's gospel, when people come to him, he points and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He points not to himself, but to Christ. His recognition of his littleness is, as I said, a recognition of Christ's greatness, but it is also a moment of looking beyond himself to Christ, not dwelling on himself. He is able to be forgetful of himself because he is focused on the person he should be focused on, which is Christ. And this is the other side of humility. This is the side of it that Christ tells us about in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that God cares for each and every one of us. That he knows the number of the hairs on our head, that he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground and, as Christ puts it, you are worth many sparrows. That we are loved totally and absolutely by God. And because we know that, we are able also to know without despair that we, that I am the chief of sinners, that I am unable to do anything of myself, and I will not despair. We feel small in this world. And right now, I think it's very easy to feel small. I certainly do. Nothing like a pandemic amidst numerous climatic and political catastrophes to remind me just how impotent and little I really am in the world. At present, it's easy to see the reckless selfishness, whether the greed for power that we see in Afghanistan or for money in Lebanon, which leaves so many dead and suffering in its wake. Here at home, too, we can see the reckless selfishness of Herod and Herodias being replayed in so many ways. And if that's all there were, we would be in despair, because we would know only our littleness. But instead, with St. John the Baptist, we can stand firm in the love of God, in looking to Christ, in seeking out that greatness that shows us our true self, in seeking out the proximity to God, union with God that shows us, yes, we are little, but we are loved. When everything else in the world does not love us, God does. I think right now it's easy to see the visible side of humanity and to feel it. But I encourage you today and this week to remember, above all, that you are loved completely by the God who is greater than all. And to stand firm in that love, and with it the secure knowledge of who you are, the knowledge of who I am. Through the prayers of St. John the Baptist and of all the saints, Lord, the Lord, so Lord, 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 Lord